You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, horror for the casually obsessed. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we are celebrating Mother's Day with John Waters' Serial Mom. Yeah, what a great little kooky movie to lead into Mother's Day with. I think like we've we've talked about Inside, we've talked about Revenge, we've covered a lot of mommy mayhem movies before. Uh, this one's uh, way kitschier than the rest of them, and just uh, so much fun. I mean, that's what you get with John Waters. You you are signing on board for like picture perfect suburbia in all the wrong ways, and Serial Mom. It's just become like a Mother's Day staple on television. I don't know if I had seen this whole movie before. Without but I, commercial breaks? <laughs> no, I don't think I've seen the whole movie before, but I've seen the whole film and probably over seven different Mother's Days. This was a big TBS watch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun to hear you talk about uh, John Waters being like, oh, that's it's what you get with like fun suburbia stuff. And like the only thing I think of when I think of John Waters is like the Midnight Madness movies that you just would not show anyone in your family. People don't watch the early career stuff, John. That's just you. Oh, you gotta check out the early career stuff. It's so <laughs> weird and crazy. See, I live in that studio John Waters sphere. <laughs> yeah, the late 80s, early 90s Basically stuff. this and Crybaby. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're right. Like, I mean, there are definitely eras of John Waters. And this is- Hairspray? This, yeah, this is, this is the one you could show your mom. This and Hairspray. Hairspray was huge. Your mom showed you hairspray. <laughs> yeah, I my my family. I didn't mean your mom. I meant your as the global mom. Oh, okay, I got it. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna say my family a little bit different. Yeah, like my my parents have been making me watch John Waters movies my whole life. Yeah, but y- your mom is weirdly cool in that way. Yeah, she was definitely pro John Waters. I wouldn't be surprised if she had a poster of him in her bedroom. Well, but for anybody who's unfamiliar with John Waters and with Serial Mom, Kim, you want to give us three good things about this damn movie? So I'm gonna take point one. And I'm going to be really vague with it because I do want to do a whole last segment on this later in the podcast. Mm-hmm. But my point one is going to be Maximum Camp. Uh, this movie is fun from start to finish and it's very self-aware in all of the right ways. It's hyper real in the way that camp is, which we'll get into. But the fun factor is like at the top of the... Uh, what do you call it? The thermostat? Camp- the camposphere? The thermostat. <laughs> okay. The mercury is exploding out of the top of the thermometer in a Looney Tunes cartoon style way. <laughs> I was actually curious how long it would take for us to mention Looney Tunes uh, in this podcast recording. I knew it was going to come up really? within 10 minutes. Like, yeah. I mean, if you didn't say it, I was going to say it. Is it because there's so many anvils in this movie? What are you getting at? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anvils, stuff from the Acme Corporation. Yeah. People, uh, you know, taking holes off the ground and just. <laughs> You're, we're right in a segment where we're recommending this movie to people who haven't seen it, so I don't know if this is going to make any sense to people. <laughs> Honestly, Maximum Camp is probably all you have to say for anybody our age who hasn't seen a movie like this before. They're sold. I think I think kids today get camp more than previous generations. I don't know. Uh, my number two good thing is very simple. Death by Leg of Lamb. 
Yeah, there's a lot of really cool deaths in this movie and a lot of inspired deaths. But the most inspired death is when Serial Mom puts down the butcher knife, you know, because that's standard fare. And uh, it's old hat at this point. Leg of lamb. Bone in. Bone in. You, you need it. <laughs> and number three. Uh, the movie's loaded with fun cameos. We'll get into the, some of them, but I think the best one is probably John Waters cameoing as Ted Bundy. Yeah, it's really brief. <laughs> it's just in a recorded phone call that that Evelyn's husband finds. Personalized message to oh, s- to Kathleen Turner. Love it. Love it. Hi, this is Ted Bundy. <laughs> I love that he introduces it's, himself as Ted Bundy. <laughs> yeah, it's eight, eight days until my execution. Like, if there was ever a serial killer that John Waters was going to play in a biopic, it would not be Ted Bundy. They look nothing alike. Well, and also, he wasn't even trying to do a voice. <laughs> no, it he's was... just doing John Waters. <laughs> which is which is maybe very camp. <laughs> okay, well, they, let's, let's, let's throw to the trailer, and we'll come back with some ratings, and Kim can explain to us what the fuck camp is. <laughs> Life doesn't have to be ugly. Look at the birds out there. Listen to their call. Hooey. Hooey. This is the story of Beverly Sutphin. Scramble eggs, anybody? A devoted mother. I'm so happy I could chip. You know how I hate the brown word. A loving wife. You think the kids are awake? We could be very quiet. I'm ready. Honey, you're hot tonight. And a suspected murderer. Oh, kids, are you doing your homework? How did America's number one mom turn into one of America's most wanted? Is she really guilty? Are you a serial killer? Chip, the only serial I know anything about is Rice Krispies. Is she the only one with a motive? Believe that damn litter bugger. Give her a happy face. Or is there someone else? I'm stood up. I'll kill that jerk. With an axe to grind. You'll never get a boyfriend. Meanwhile, this small Baltimore suburb keeps getting smaller and smaller. It's been a crazy day, hasn't it? Savoy Pictures asks the burning question, Is your wife mental? Is Beverly Sutphin just a sweet suburban housewife? I don't know what it is about today, but I feel great. Cookie? Or is she... Serial Mom. Cool. Is she in a band? Kathleen Turner, Sam Waterston, and Ricky Lake. Serial Mom. Every woman wants to be wanted. Just not for murder one. Beverly, I've read all about this. Is it menopause? Serial Mom is currently sitting at a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Also made a heartbreaking $7.8 million at the box office against a $13 million budget. But honestly... I love that for this movie. I don't think... I think Hairspray is the, like, the only movie John Waters has ever made that's been financially successful at the theater. John Waters' movies are not supposed to make money. They're supposed to find their life now. Like, yeah. they, they're supposed to find their life 
in parents' basements, like, why do we have this on DVD or why do we have this on VHS? And you find you blow off the VCR. Like, that's how you're supposed to discover a John Waters movie. That is always a fun mystery to find out about your family when you find a movie like like a John Waters film. Let's say you're at your house and you're looking through VHS tapes and you find Pink Flamingos or Female Trouble or something and you're like, oh my God, this is so great. I would have never found this movie on my own and it like really speaks to me. And then you have to ask yourself, why the fuck did my parents buy this? Yeah. How is this in their life? I don't know anything about my family anymore. That's a lot better than finding a copy of Chicks with Dicks under your dad's bed. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen to me. It's just referencing it's something a, that happened in the movie. It's a gag in the movie. It's pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> so, Kim, uh, well, everyone out there, hello. Welcome to Kim's Camp Corner. You want to explain to us Maximum No, camp? that's not what this corner is about. This corner is about, <laughs> let's definitively figure out what the fuck camp is, because uh, I think you and I have both had a bit of a existential camp crisis in the last couple of years because Gen Z thinks everything is fucking camp. Yeah, I think it's because the 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 hipster irony of everything that sort of tainted pop culture for a few years has phased into camp and there's just like a level of irony. So now if something is intentionally bad, it's considered camp. Well, and I think because we're we're doing this like cyclical thing now because we're oh my god, we're in the roaring 20s and uh-huh. we're just doing, you know, we're doing the modern era again, like we're past, you know, circus and recorded time. Like we've caught up to video footage that exists that you can understand and decipher so yeah. I think everything from this point on is going to be like self-referential in a way Unfortunately. and so the definition of camp I think has to evolve and everything can't be camp <laughs> I agree and and uh, and pretty often you say something is camp and I, I wholeheartedly disagree with you and then vice versa okay so. well I'm always right when I call something <laughs> camp okay. yeah <laughs> Yeah, but I let's let's just say this best example. I don't think Megan the movie is camp. That was the weirdest one for me when everybody was like coming out with their you know sixteen word letterbox reviews and camp was in all of them. Yeah, and it's like oh, it's so silly that she does. It's I, I mean like yeah, it is silly that the robots wearing sunglasses and stuff. But like I don't I don't think it's it's high level camp. Kim, explain camp to me. Well, please. and she does. She yes, she does a quirky dance, but I think it's in the vein of you know TikTok is cool right now and everybody. Everybody's doing a stupid dance, not that like dancing is camp. Yeah, but if you think that dance is stupid and you you seriously put it in your movie, camp? Question mark. I guess because like Greece is camp, but is Greece? So here's Greece... my que- here's my question. This is this is this is where I, I really need to draw a line in the sand here. Is it camp or is it kitsch? Like I, that's and like camp I... and kitsch are cousins, John. <laughs> I, they are I know. kissing cousins. I know, but at the time that Greece came out, I think that's kitsch. I don't think it's trying to. Yeah, really but Serial be... Mom is camp and kitsch. Okay, no, okay. This is this is this is where I think we can get it. Beauty school dropout, camp. Camp. The rest of Greece camp. kitsch. Oh no, because in the end of the movie they fly off in the car. <laughs> okay, fine. They end on a they end That's on a camp. punctuation dot of camp, but the rest of the movie is kitsch. Like the whole carnival kitsch, driving off into the sunset, maybe dying. Camp. <laughs> So camp then. It's, yeah. It's camp and kitsch. I think we came here with an ex- expectation. Grease 2. That is, you, what is Grease 2? Grease 2 is camp. And <laughs> I, I think we came here with an expectation. And by we, I mean me uh, and the listeners. We want you to explain to us camp. Okay. So I actually, I prepared for this segment by getting a definition of camp. Thank you. But then I'm going to give you my personal definition of camp. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think it really relates to Serial Mom as a movie, like bringing it back. Because once, obviously this is John Waters. It's got camp in its bones. Yeah. Uh, It's like Camp Four Bones. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> that is the skeleton from which the muscles grew. And explain to me the the structure and the nerve endings that that are the the. Oh, concrete that's that's where Kitsch definition. comes in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Is, is Kitsch not the apron that you wear on top of the it skeleton? It is. It's the little corn cobs on Marge's kitten kitchen curtains. All right. Uh, Zap me up that definition of camp. Okay, camp is an aesthetic style and sensibility that regards something as appealing because of its bad taste and ironic value. Hmm. Camp aesthetics disrupt many of modernism's notions of what art is and what can be classified as high art by inverting aesthetic attributes such as beauty, value, and taste through an invitation of a different kind of apprehension and consumption. Oh, boy. So it's like fucking irony is art. Yeah, it, it, it is. It did just hit me in the head like a, like a Looney Tune anvil. Oh, but Kip, like Kip any... can also be a social practice and function as a style and performance identity for several types of entertainment, including film, cabaret, and pantomime. You know, hearing somebody, not you, the person who wrote that, hearing somebody describe a thing you like make, zaps all the oh, fun yeah. out of it, which <laughs> makes me very, like Get it out very, of that microscope. Yeah, it does not make me feel good about the rest of this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... What I think camp is, is I think it's self-referential in a way. It's looking at the world removed. Like, you know, you've lifted the fourth wall off the diorama Mm -hmm. and you've made the diorama of the room you're in and nothing has really changed all that much, but you've taken all of the meaning out of it. I think what camp is, is like almost, and I think we're going to see it a lot now because we're in this weird AI revolution Mm -hmm. and I'm getting deep here, John. Yeah, okay. Is that it's uncanny valley. It's like... You've you've zapped all of the human purpose and meaning out of everything, and it's just everything is presented at face value. So you're like, oh, this is this is art because it's it exists. I don't know. Where, where, where am I going here? No. Okay. So I can can I just take what you've said and then filter it through my AI brain? Sure. Thank and you. Tell you what I. I've heard. got more things to say on the AI thing. It's like if you got abducted by aliens. Yes, I was gonna say <laughs> aliens, but I thought that might be too weird. And if the aliens... aliens made art of humanity. It's single female lawyer from Futurama. <laughs> that is camp. Okay. Yeah. So if aliens abducted you and dropped you into a room but didn't want you to think you were on a spaceship and yeah. they wanted you to believe you were still on Earth, but everything was just a Little, little different. Exactly, wrong. uncanny valley because we recognize human faces and things, and and that's what uncanny valley means. It's it's um, the weird human ability to find you know humanity and everything. And camp is kind of using, I guess, that like lizard braid part of yourself that you're like, oh, everything in this room looks normal, but why is everything so intentional? Yeah. And I think that's what's weird about AI and AI art and all of that stuff. And I think we're really going to experience it now because corporations are definitely going to use AI for their copy and, you know, like their their script writing and all of that. So art is soon going to be all like, I don't, hopefully not all. That's the uh, pessimistic look. They're definitely going to use it though. So like, let's be real. Kim's coming in here standing with the WGA. (laughs) (laughs) Get the AIs out of the writing I'm all for using AI as a tool. Like it's the new robot, but like, uh. <laughs> but yeah, so camp is, I think, taking is the absence of meaning. It's taking everything out of it that art would inject into it. Like if okay. you were to make something and it's supposed to have all of this higher meaning and, and attribute all of this value to it and you look at it and you're like, oh, I'm learning so much about the artist and la 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 la. Camp is recreating that painting, you know, at 2 a.m., with your toes. With zero intention. You know what yeah. I mean? That's what camp is. Okay. At least to me. At least to you. 
Okay. I was going to say a great example based on what we were talking about with the UFO thing is that scene in Scooby-Doo, the live action film where the aliens are infiltrating the teenagers and they break into that haunted castle and there's all of those videos oh, of them, of them pretending to, to be humans. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what camp looks and feels like. Are they aliens in that movie? So they're demons, whatever. They're mods. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's move on, John. <laughs> Why did you derail the podcast? Yeah, no, I think uh, I like I, I really hung on to what you said there about uh, walking into a room and everything having like incredible intention behind it, but something being off. It is kind of like walking into your neighbor's house, you know, behind a beautiful white picket fence and seeing everything placed so perfectly, and it smells of crisp lemon cleaner, and you're like, so everything's everything about this is right, but something is wrong. Yeah, what's that movie? Uh, Blast from the Past with Brendan Fraser oh, sure. and uh, Christopher Walken. Camper Kitch. Uh, it's both. <laughs> That's <laughs> such a bullshit answer. Camp is kitsch. Kitsch, wait, kitsch can be camp, but camp encompasses kitsch. 15 minutes in, we've only talked about camp and kitsch. <laughs> this is a big topic. Um, but yeah, in Blast from the Past, uh, Christopher Walken's this crazy character who thinks like the world's going to end in an atomic blast, which mm-hmm. it does in this film. And he recreates a like 50s nostalgia entire house with you know astroturf lawn and the the deck chairs and everything in a bunker underground and like that is camp that's it's the literally the recreation somewhere else also if you add the atomic age and you add nuclear families and the 50s aesthetic like that is that is kitchen camp in their natural habitat <laughs> yeah, you're really onto something there is there anything that you would like to add to my camp segment <clears throat> I would like to say that I have learned a lot today. Thank you. Uh, how I'm going to relate this to Serial Mom, though. And so moving this, on, I this, had nothing else to say. <laughs> so this entire segment has purpose, is that that's what I really love about John Waters' films, especially his studio entries, because there's some irony in, in that alone, the fact that studios are giving him millions of dollars to make these movies that are essentially more or less about nothing. Not about nothing, but don't really have necessarily a higher intention behind them. Yeah, I mean, like, I'd, I'd say uh, Hairspray is definitely a, a very subversive movie for a studio movie. But, yeah, something like like Crybaby and Serial Mom, and, and maybe it's just leaning harder into kitsch than, <laughs> Kitchen Camp. Well, that's, that's what I think is so great about John Waters' films. The act of rebellion isn't the subject matter. Like, you'd think it would be because, it's you know, he used uh, drag performers and he had cross-dressing and such, especially in, in Hairspray. But it isn't saying anything in regards to those subcultures it's just the fact that they exist and they exist in that film like that's where the rebellion is the rebellion is, is that, that this normal. exists yeah. like the the camp and the 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 camp and the kitsch of serial mom is that this movie just I, exists unironically mm. it isn't played satirically it's played pretty straight as a film like you can watch this beginning to end and pretend it is about a real case apart from like the fact that the deaths are so absurd yeah no it's not really pointing any fingers at anybody it is just it's just holding a mirror kim to the society like he is just essentially saying like this is this is what america is and he's not being pointed about it or anything it's just I, like, I mean i think you're attributing that to the film i don't know ooh. if that's necessarily the film's intention you don't think the movie is like absurdly uh intentionally obsessed with true crime and like especially like late afternoon talk show true crime of the late 80s early 90s 
Because, like, literally, like, c- characters are, are just putting down Newsweek articles that are clearly about, like, the Waco, is, I think it's Waco, Texas? Uh, but it's just, like, ev- every time you see any bit of pop culture, it's daytime TV, because that's just, like, what women in, in that are t- taking care of a house watch. And it's always about somebody being murdered or about mass suicides or anything. I mean, I think that we're coming at it, though, with a retrospective look. Uh, this movie came out before any of the OJ stuff. It came out before the huge true crime surge. Like, yes, there was, like, Joan Rivers with, like, I'm married to a... A man in prison. Who's in this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's all well and good. And I think, sure, it's it's using that stuff as commentary, but I don't know if it's making necessarily the comment. I no, think that's just the character. You were adding the comment. Like, mm-hmm. That's what's camp about it. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, like, I... I don't think he's like, I'm going to make a movie that exposes America's obsession with death. I think he just, like, made a character who who has all of that. I mean, like, I think... The thing that I like the most about the movie is that the grossest people in the movie are the quote-unquote normal people. You know, like, just your average suburban housewife and husband. Like, people eating chicken. It's the grossest scene in the entire fucking movie, watching people eat a chicken dinner. It's one of the grossest things I've seen in, like, five years. And, like, we watched a lot of gross movies that thoroughly disgusted me watching them eat that chicken skin. Yeah, there's clips of Blood Feast in this. (laughs) Yeah, there's clips of Blood Feast, people pulling out tongues and stuff, and it's all fun. That's all kitsch. Uh, the, 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 The truly one of the most horrifying moments of this entire film is a woman who comes home to watch Annie on VHS. Oh god. Makes herself a goddamn sandwich from that leg of lamb and and then gets her dog to lick her feet. And it, and like really loves it. She's like, "Yeah, that's right. Get them wet." And you're like, "Oh, fuck, it's disgusting." And they're the normal people in the movie. They're the people who are like, "Ew, you shouldn't be watching your disgusting horror films." Uh, all of those people in this movie are totally well-balanced and 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 uh well-meaning people, except for maybe serial mom who murders a couple of people here and there. Yeah, and I think that's the case with all of John Waters' films is that they, you know, like, it's always about, like, look at the squares. They're weirder than we are. Do you think it's actually saying anything? Do you think it's trying to say anything? I think the point is is that, like, she doesn't, like, the world doesn't get justice. Serial mom gets out. Um, well, yeah, I, if it's trying to say anything, it's that it's that the criminal is the new celebrity or is the celebrity again. I don't know that it's all it's saying like we've always been obsessed with this. But I mean, like, yeah, there is a legacy of bank robbers becoming like folk heroes, whether or not they get put to death or just convicted to life imprisonment. Uh, like we're constantly talking about people like Ted Bundy and Charles Manson. Uh, I, I I think it's he's just having a laugh. Like I'll I'll say this. I I agree, I agree with, with having a laugh. It's not that's it's as not, far as I'll go. It's not making a huge <laughs> comment, but it's having a laugh at the normal people's obsession with true crime, despite you know telling everybody that porno and horror movies are disgusting and you should go to hell for watching them. But yeah, it's it's having a laugh at it more than anything else. Yeah, I uh, I think we should we should handshake there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are some of your favorite deaths in the movie? Um, so I love, I love everything about 
the murders in this film and especially like the transgressions. I was reading a bunch of interviews with John Waters before we started recording. And um, he's like, the whole point of this movie is that, you know, everybody wants to kill somebody, but they just don't. Yeah. And he's like, I fucking hate gum chewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Like, these are just like, these are my own things. It's like, so we're living through Serial Mom and her actually getting to murder these people for these like petty fucking things, like wearing white after Labor Day. Yeah. Uh, things, from- things that you see people go off the fucking rails about when they really shouldn't. What are you talking about? You These are big deals. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> uh, the one that really resonated with me the most was the neighbor not sorting her trash. And <laughs> she's just, sorting like, her trash like a Rod dogging idiot. it into the <laughs> trash can. Just, Doesn't she know an aluminum can will last 95 years in a landfill? Yes. And, and Evelyn and the garbage men all just like looking at her in complete disgust. Yeah. Don't you love that Evelyn's friends with the garbage men? I do. That's that's maybe one of my favorite things about the movie. Yeah, you were you you had a very fun moment where she, you know she rolls out, uh, you know comes with some singles like I guess like scotch or whiskey or something. Do you and, call like, them singles? <laughs> isn't sing- that like isn't it a, a single shot? Bill that you? <laughs> it's a single shot of of alcohol. I I would say like a mini. She comes out with a tiny little mini hotel room bar sized uh, amount of alcohol for the garbage man and they just sit and talk shit about her neighbor and you were like this is me when I grow up. That's guaranteed. my dream is just to talk petty with the garbage man about who recycles and who doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would be the queen of the garbage gossip. <laughs> She's a, a very high-functioning woman for being such a such a, uh, a crazed murderer. Like, in, in terms of the white picket fence world, she's in the house, she's just dancing to the radio, sorting glass from plastics and everything. What I love most about it, and, and what kind of what you're expecting going into it, is that there isn't, like, this moment where she cracks and she just becomes, you know, like, she was this perfect housewife, and then she became this murderer. Yeah. We join her when she's anti- antagonizing one of the neighbors, because because she stole her parking spot and sending her threatening letters and phone calls with like all of these crazy obscenities. She's this other woman already when we join her. Yeah. And it's it's part of who she is. Like her husband finds these books that she's been hiding secretly. Well, she's been a pen pal or at least was a pen pal with Ted Bundy back in the 70s. Yeah. And... She's like at night they're they're in their bed, you know, like couples with each of their own side lamps and she's reading a book about birds but actually tucked inside is like a a novel about serial killers. Yeah. And so like she is this person. She has these interests and these hobbies. Like one would argue she's a bit of a nut, but this is who she is. She didn't crack. She didn't become like she didn't one day after years and years of watching her neighbor put recycling in the garbage can. She, like we see it two times and she's like, I'm a fucking killer. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, hey, it's making like that all everything about her personality is just making their sex life better. She's fucking crazy after she kills her uh, uh, her son's math teacher. I love how blatant she murders people. Like, he is murdered right after the parent-teacher meeting out in public. On school property, Only a stoner sees it, so she's very lucky. But there is no attempt to hide her crimes, to disguise her weapons. Even, like, she gets gets blood on her windshield. She gets blood on her shoes when she stabs the boyfriend who, who leaves... Ricky Lake. Yo, like, more more than just getting blood on her shoes, she uses her friend, the the shitty neighbor who can't uh, who can't uh, figure out how to recycle, steals her fireplace poker that she got at a flea market, kills a dude in the bathroom, and then does not wipe off the blood on that fire poker before bringing it back. But she did flush the urinal. That's just polite. <laughs> fun little. I I don't know if this is a fun fact or too dark for the podcast. 
Do you know most movies that John Waters has made have a scene where somebody gets hit by a car? <laughs> I mean, that's just fun. Uh, I was actually surprised at the amount of like car stunt work in this. Okay, so there is a lot of like really cool turning onto r- suburban roads. Oh yeah, no. For a minute, I really wanted to believe that Kathleen Turner was actually doing the the runaway sequence in that panel van. Just like, wow, she can really drive. <laughs> there was some real e braking happening. This is maybe a dark story, but oh uh, no, John Waters uh, when he first moved out to L.A. was he hit by a car? Accidentally killed somebody. With <gasps> oh his car. god! But it's like totally not his fault somebody witnessed it they were there like it's not like he was high he wasn't drunk or anything it was a very unfortunate very sad an old man just sort of like stepped out into the road and he accidentally hit him with his car and since then if you go back and watch John Waters movies there's almost always a shot of somebody getting hit by a car and also they're like oh reactions shot through the windshield and he, uh, I've read a bunch of John Waters books he's a great writer and he's talking about Is this him it. working through his trauma? Pretty much <laughs> like he's like any other auteur out there he's like there's an image in my mind that I just have to get on camera yeah no of course like that's just something that he's always been working on uh, but it's it's in Polyester it's in Crybaby like it's in every fucking movie when you see it and it's just so interesting that to think about John Waters having uh, darkness in him <laughs> that he has to work out but also not using it like every time somebody's killed in one of his movies it's kind of used for yucks oh always which it's so weird that he's using it to like personally get out his own demons yeah i don't know how i feel about that i feel like my stomach hurts now (laughs) yeah well like i said thanks john it might be too dark for the podcast i might just take it out in my my mind i was like oh this is a fun fact that i just know about john okay no it is a fun fact i can i can i can soften the blow with uh i i have read him talking about his being obsessed with car accidents as a child like a little kid the way kids that's camp the way (laughs) (laughs) wait wait to hear the rest of it the way that kids play with cars he would play car accidents like he would he would just play cars getting into accidents and people dying and then the ambulance showing up and people crying and stuff and his mom would take him to the junkyard and they would just walk around looking at smashed up cars and he'd just be like he just talked about it, like some of his earliest memories of him walking around with his like really uh, not uptight but like upper middle class mother in like a f- like probably looks like fucking Kathleen Turner and serial mom just walking him through the junkyard so he can look at all the smashed up car accident That's vehicles so cool <laughs> yeah I mean, even in even in female trouble, there's a whole sequence where Mink Stoll plays uh, Divine's daughter, and she's in, she's playing car accident where she like has a bottle of ketchup and she's like spraying blood everywhere and stuff. How Wednesday Adams of her? Yeah. What other weird shit do you know about this movie and or John Waters? I know tons of weird shit about John Waters, but like just like giving that I mentioned Divine a second ago, you know, Divine arguably say John Waters muse died tragically way before her time. Uh, Who do you think Divine would have played in this movie? The female cop. The female cop? Like the the really tight cameo where it's Mm -hmm. like... Where Mink Stoll has to say pussy to her. (laughs) Yes. She's way gruffer and way more masculine than the actual cop who's there interviewing her. It's so fucking funny. Don't worry, you're safe. No one's going to harm you. What did they say to you? Funniest shit. I would have. I. Uh, I. I would have assumed maybe, possibly, her neighbor who can't recycle. That mm. was my thought. That also seems like an Edith Massey character. 
another John Waters. Sorry, I'm seeing a blank face uh, across the table from me here. It's another- I'm sorry I don't know all of John Waters' regular players. Uh, I'm not pulling a deep cuts here. I mean, you've seen Polyester. She kind of talks like this. She's obsessed with eggs and pink flamingos. Okay, anyway, don't worry about it. We'll You're doing mo- a great job. We'll move on. <laughs> we had not actually spent a ton of time talking about Kathleen Turner, though, right? I like I we recently watched a fucking movie with Kathleen Turner that is just so fucking bizarre that I don't know any goddamn thing about her anymore. <laughs> but- Honestly, we've seen a few movies with her in the last couple of years. Do you remember that like high school going back to your it's like your it was like 20 year reunion at her high school with Kathleen Turner. Yeah. Oh, this is the one with Nicolas Cage where she goes back in time. Is that what it is? I think so. Yes. Uh, something Betty Sue. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, Fuck, I don't remember the time. Either way, Kathleen Turner makes choices with the movies she makes. And, oh, yeah. And I honestly, like, I really only knew her from this. Okay. I thought you were going to say as the voice of Malibu Stacy. And that, too. <laughs> and that, too. <laughs> but she she's a very interesting woman just based on, like, I don't know anything about her, but just based on the roles she has chosen. Oh, yeah. We've, we talked about it in a Fiend Club episode uh, where we just sort of, like, do a roundup, catch up of uh, movies that we've been watching, what's been keeping us creepy, uh, and we watched a erotic thriller with Kathleen Turner called Crimes of Passion. Okay, to call it an erotic thriller is a very bold statement. <laughs> I mean, this movie also has Anthony Perkins. It's directed by, ooh, forgot his name now, but that guy that directed The Devils and The Lair of the White Worm. Uh, Ken Russell. There we go. It is weird. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen Turner essentially plays a woman who's who's uh, pretending to be a sex worker in the 80s. She's not pretending. She she moonlights as a sex worker. But she there's literally a scene where she like gets a $100 bill from somebody and then just like sticks her gum in it and puts it in the trash. Like she's this is just, well, just her because kink. she doesn't use the money doesn't mean she's <laughs> okay, not right, getting okay, the money. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, she makes choices. I still gotta get you to watch Body Heat. Like that's a classic sort of detective film noir-y type erotic thriller it's she's great in it but um she's definitely got spunk she's got spunk okay i was gonna say that she's got uh i I was gonna say she's got spunk (laughs) yeah that's that's exactly what i was gonna say you really nailed the head on that thank you yeah no kathleen turner's great she's amazing in this she's got like that lauren bacall smoky voice that's just killer i mean that's just her voice (laughs) that is just her voice but she has she's perfect casting for this movie because she looks like she would be typecast as the, the Stepford wife mom the Stepford wife mom yeah, and she's leave it great to as it yeah. she has like the the perfect expressive eyes and the open you know like the the when she's looking at the starlings she's like got a glitter in her eye and but you would not be surprised to find out that there's darkness hiding in there right she can do the darkness yeah Oh man, yeah. All of the all of the murders in this movie are great, and they they don't really feel planned out. They're just like because they oh, aren't planned out. Okay, well I guess they're not planned out. That <laughs> might have something to do with it. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were gonna say that your favorite murder was when she just up and leaves the the, the middle of dinner uh, to go murder somebody across town, but does take a minute to leave a note saying like went to the store, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, that's that's a good little that's a good little fake out moment because you think she's going to go kill her son's best friend because he's got suspicions about her as a murderer, but then she instead kills this this gross couple across town who's just eating dessert and watching uh, watching Wheel of Fortune. And they made her husband work on a Saturday. How fucking dare they? <laughs> Keep that in mind next time you try and call somebody in for off shift work, you might wind up murdered by that person's spouse. 
So there's one thing that I found kind of cool. And like, this isn't the, you know, the biggest revelation of all time. I'm sure everybody watching the movie had this thought. But I just wanted to bring it up because, you know, if we don't, somebody's going to tweet at us and be like, why didn't you say this about Matthew Lillard? Uh One, Matthew Lillard's fucking great. So that's that covered. Don't tweet at us. He's fucking great. But isn't it kind of cool that young teenage Matthew Lillard's at a movie store, being a horror fan, talking about horror movies and being horror obsessed. And then his most kind of known film for this this time period in his career is Scream. Yeah. What a nice little warm up for Matthew Lillard. I was actually going to ask you who you thought was a better video store clerk, Matthew Lillard in The Serial Mom or Jamie Kennedy in Scream. (laughs) (laughs) That was my one big like, don't look at the spreadsheet. I've got this question (laughs) lined up to ask you. Randy Meeks, obviously, because it it gets used as one of the biggest plot devices of Scream. Yeah, but I mean, like, as a video store clerk, if I had to get anybody to recommend me a movie, I'd be choosing Matthew Well, that's the thing, though, is Randy works at a corporate video store. He's at, like, the blockbuster video store. Of course he's got some anger behind Uh, him. Matthew Lillard, he looks like he's at a mom and pop. Like, the stuff isn't even in plastic cases. It's still in the cardboard case. Secret VHS wall where they hide serial killers behind it. Like, this is my kind of video store. Yeah, I like it a lot. really think they definitely have one of those gumball machines where like if you get the tinfoil one or like the white gumball you get a free tape yeah that happened to me once it was the biggest prize i have ever can won. i ask you a question about that because i it, never... yes it was at the, the the video store where your mom worked <laughs> no that's not what i was that pisses me off even more do you know how many fucking quarters i sunk into that <laughs> trying to get the goddamn free rental even though i mostly got free rentals at that store uh no what i wanted to know and john this, was the video store elite this is the i only had to pay for the okay uh, okay protection on the disc <laughs> Like, as long as you buy the insurance, we'll let you rent it for free. What was the insurance? Like, a nickel? It was less than a dollar, I think, yeah. I want to tell you a secret about the bookstore I worked at. This, this was a corporate bookstore. We could take the books home as long as we, like, brought them back in great condition. We Wait, didn't have to what? buy them or anything. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Yeah, we could just take them home. You could just take them home yeah. and read them. Like, books that we were selling. Wow. Do we? It's been like, is there a is this there a is, statute of limitations on this? Can't we just say it was Chapters Indigo that you worked at? Like it's basically not, Canada's it Barnes and just, Noble. It might have just been our store though. Like I don't, I don't know. What are they gonna do? Pull thing. the books open and figure out when you worked and who your manager was and call them up and fire them? But yeah, it was like there was just a clipboard in the staff room where we would just like write. Wow. And, like there was no supervision. You didn't have to go to a manager or anything. So you they're just, like, like, as long as you don't break the spine, you can put it back on the shelf. Yeah, and, like, I would have killed at this. Store. Nobody supervised. It. So like wow. even if you did like fold a page a little bit, you'd like back into the shelf <laughs> and then you would just cross off the book you had taken out. You it was all self-policed. I love this. Yeah. OK, well, my question's stupid because I already know the answer, but it, it's, that's camp. Yeah. <laughs> I just as a kid, I was always worried that if I got that gumball that said I got a free rental, I wouldn't also get to eat the gumball. <laughs> that was your concern. <laughs> I was fat. That yeah. gum was gross. Yeah, you were always sad when fine. you got the gum. <laughs> I like that gum. <laughs> it was like hollow in the middle, but like really hard to chew through. Yep, it's a good gumball. Kept me entertained for at least a half an hour. Mm. And they never cleaned out that swirly. Absolutely slide not. That it went down. You could see dust in it. <laughs> that's why. That's why the gumball came with the hard schlack edge, and you just give it a quick little wipe on your sweater. Nobody wiped Pop, it. Nobody wiped it. <laughs> 
and you grab it with your grubby little fingers before it falls on the floor because the flap that's holding it in is too, like, loose. Half the time it would fall on that floor. Yeah. Yeah. Video stores. Uh, Let's bring them back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about uh, question mark wise? No, not necessarily. I mean, like, I did want to qu- quickly shout out L7 as the as the band that performs in the middle you of this movie. You wrote that down, and I was like, uh, who is L7? L7 has the best needle drop in Pet Cemetery 2, a movie that has a hundred great needle drops. You know that song Shit List? Oh! That's L7, baby, playing Camel Lips, the band, here, performing a full-ass concert at 1 p.m. on a Sunday in Serial Mom. Yeah, it's right after church, which is, you know what? I'm not going to argue with it. Right? It's Again, Baltimore sounds great. Good choice. Yeah. There's a shit to the really steady. They're really sweaty for 1 p.m., though. <laughs> I just don't think it's appropriate to be that sweaty. Like, sure, rock out, but... Okay, last point to maybe... So don't work too hard. It's Sunday. Last point to maybe uh, tie in the fact that this movie's true crime obsessed. It's having a laugh at true crime obsession. Okay, well, juror number eight, the final victim of this movie, that serial mom Is that the white after Labor Day? That's the woman who keeps wearing white shoes after Labor Day, is played by Patty Hearst. Who's that? God damn it, Kim. Okay, well, Patty Hearst was a- I didn't even know who Suzanne Summers was, and she was a huge cameo in this, so I was like, ah! Well, thank God they said that they liked her work in Three's Company, otherwise we would not have been able to figure that out on our own. Uh, yeah, no, Patty Hearst was uh, kidnapped by a radical group in the 70s and then made to rob banks. She was a- controversial figure in the in the 70s as far as the true crime circuit goes like she was yeah, a wealthy okay. to, well-to-do family girl who gets kidnapped and then the, the the argument there is is whether or not she was uh kidnapped and made to do things she didn't want to do whether or not she got stockholm syndrome whether or not she actively ran away from home and joined this fringe group yada mm. yada yada it really dominated the circuit and kind of ruined her life and and then because of it she became good friends with john waters yeah i was gonna say like one that's very fun inclusion and a nice little Easter egg, but John Waters collects criminals like collector cards. He criminals? loves, yeah, well, criminals and fringe people. He just loves fringe people. Like, I mean, he talked to like a bunch of the Manson girls. He is, he talks to. I wouldn't even say he talks to, he is an advocate for Leslie Van Houten. He's been trying to get her paroled for a long time. Uh, you guys, you got, you got to check out this book that John Waters wrote called Role Models, which is basically just about him and a bunch of cool people that he's interviewed, people that he either looked up to or he thought were role models of America and stuff. That's a that's a great book. I mean, honestly, he's got a few books that, I, that you should absolutely check out. His writing is just as good as his filmmaking. But I think that's probably, I think that probably wraps up our discussion on Serial Mom, Kim. How why, much... Wait, no, why do you think he had Patty Hearst in the movie? Well, because he is definitely, he'd become friends with Patty Hearst. I think he, so John Waters, across the board, is obsessed with people that America considers trash. Like he's uh, known as what the grandfather of filth is what people call him. Based That's a great spe- name, right? And what a great title. Leans into it. I would it. wear that he with fucking, pride. Fucking, he does. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah, he's obsessed with like the stuff that you sweep under the rug, and like how everything, the further you look, has something gross and disgusting about it. There is nothing perfect and unique and great, like the white picket fence America would would have you believe. So he is constantly casting people that are. Really controversial, uh, yeah, and unHollywood fringe. The Patty Hearst thing is is something that's just like not quite of our generation. Like you, you really can't stress how I mean, much it this sounds fucking like, took over America. It sounds like something I should be googling a eight part documentary series on. It's a rabbit hole you might enjoy. Actually, I I 
have a really great quote that I'm going to paraphrase that John Waters said in an interview. Somebody asked him what his greatest accomplishment was, and he said that it was that he made trash 0.5% better. He's like, so now when people watch trash, they have to stop and go like, wait, was that bad or good? <laughs> you really made us all reconsider trash. Uh, that's Not great. that he's made people like trash, but just that they've had to pause on trash. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I can't tell if this is garbage or if this is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And we're better people for it. Yeah. So how would you rate Serial Mom? I thought it was really fun and, you know, quirky and camp and a great, like, you know, once a a year Mother's Day watch. (laughs) I'm really glad we watched it during the day. Normally we watch Nightmare on Film Street movies at night. You know, we're big on ambiance and turning off all the lights and making it moody and spooky. And this is is a daytime dark comedy. Yeah, right. We made the ambiance. We took the right ambiance for this film. Yeah, it was perfect to watch during the day. And I could totally see myself back when we did like family Sunday dinners, you know, trying to hide from the family downstairs at like 3 p.m. A little bit before dinner's ready, but like the grandparents have already arrived because for them, dinner starts at 3 (laughs) p.m. Uh, and then watching this movie then. That's the perfect time. Yeah, if your parents came in to check on you and just saw like 30 seconds of this movie, they'd be like, ah, oh, they're watching something fine. And then you go right <laughs> back upstairs. <laughs> oh, is that Kathleen Turner? Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm giving, I don't know if you gave this a rating. I'm giving it a 3.5 out of 4. I said 3 out of 4, I think. Okay, yeah, my mistake. Yeah, no, I, I'm uh, the big John Waters fan of the group, I think. If you're looking for more John Waters movies after this, Kim would love it if you would watch Cry Baby. I love Crybaby. It's pretty fucking great. It's got Johnny Depp in it. It's got Tracy Lords. Tracy Lords has a fun cameo in this movie, too. She's only in it for like a 30 seconds. And she makes the total Tracy Lords Crybaby face. You like she fucking like, mm-hmm. gasped when you saw her. You're like, oh, it's Tracy Lords. I love her. <laughs> you know, she's great. She's so pretty. Yeah. And then also, I don't know, if you're not ready to go into like his older stuff, uh, I mean, first off, polyester, not really like his older, weirder stuff. It's super hilarious Still and Divine's weird. great in it. Uh, check out Cecil Be Demented. That movie's kind of made for people who love. Like, Sounds really weird. Yeah, but it's made for people who like Midnight Madness movies and, and cult movies. It's a it's a it's essentially a movie about a bunch of film fans that become terrorists, and it's got a baby Michael Shannon in it. It's great. What would you say is your favorite John Waters movie? Probably Polyester. I think Polyester is my favorite. Is that the one that came with the scent card? It's the one that came with the Centorama card. Yeah, yeah, it's a good decision. Yeah, that and Female Trouble and Multiple Maniacs are like tied for second, I think. Those are both. like fe- Female Trouble, you gotta watch. Where do you put Crybaby? Crybaby? Oh, that's tough. Crybaby's great. Uh, man, they're so- They sing. Uh, they're all tied for <laughs> like firsts and second. You know what I'm saying? Like They're all great. I, you'd have to break them up into eras. Like, what's your favorite black and white era of John Waters? <laughs> like, what's your, what are your favorite Divine movies? What your favorite studio movies and then what do you think of A Dirty Shame <laughs> which is a movie you had on DVD for a long time with Johnny Knoxville how did I just pull that out of nowhere why did I, I have that, that? Did, <laughs> again see you're, you find these movies that your family owns and you don't know why they bought them <laughs> John Waters movies, the dirty little secret of every American household for the last 50 years. Oh, boy. Uh, Let us know your thoughts on camp, uh, on John Waters films, and what you thought of Serial Mom. If you yourself are a mom, have a happy Mother's Day. Uh, We hope you, you know, have some time off from your family to, like, have a bath and, like, you don't get wine drunk or whatever you like to do. Yeah, and hit them over the head with with a ham or a turkey if they start bugging you too much. Bone in. (laughs) 
You can follow us on Twitter at NOFS Podcast or chat with us in the Nightmare and Film Street Discord at nofspodcast.com slash discord. While you're at it, please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. It's a free way to support the show, and it really helps uh, It really helps us grow in the charts. Nightmare on Film Street is independently made and produced by John and myself. We do all of it. If you want to throw us a few dollars, you can join us on Patreon in our Fiend Club. We release a ton of bonus content there. Episodes. We have a watch party coming at the end of the month. That is at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. You can also support us by grabbing a really cool t-shirt. We have Nightmare on Film Street t-shirts. We also have a bunch of just like random really cool horror merch. If you like, you know, obscure quotes that only you and one other person that you make eye contact with at a horror convention would understand. Uh, it's the, the easiest way to make a friend is to have a, <laughs> as, as a really niche t-shirt. Uh, and you can check out those at store.nofspodcast.com. We'll be back at you again next week, but until then, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.